And so, sorry you're stuck with me. Here I am. <laughs> it's good to be here with you. And I'm, I really do delight in being at Daniel Island with you all. And to join in this sermon series, we're in a ser- series called Church Matters. Um, and I think it should be actually Church Matters. It really does matter. Um, not Church Matters, which sounds... Uh, boring. Oh, just church matters, you know. Okay. Uh, maybe. Anyway, this is the sixth in a series. Uh, and the prior topics have been church is for those who are not yet members. Church is that which is formed by the Holy Spirit. This should bring back floods of memory to you about sermons on those topics. Okay. Church is... where we worship together. Church studies the scripture together and the church lives life together, koinonia. And today the topic is church breaks bread together. I confirmed with Jonathan that he did not want me to talk this morning about good recipes for church potluck suppers (laughs) or about etiquette at, at church gatherings. Uh, We could have talked about those things. It might have been more interesting. What I've got instead is Holy Communion, church breaking bread together, what we do up front on every Sunday when we gather. We break bread, the body of Christ, and the blood of Christ. Well, I'm glad we're talking about that. Now, in a, I hope, I pray, that this is actually just refresher, that you all are familiar with the Eucharistic service in which we do explain pretty clearly what we're doing, and why we're doing it. But I think it's always good to have a reminder uh, and a refresher on the topic because I think personally that it is uh, something that's vitally important to the life of the church, taking communion, breaking bread together. In fact, I would say it's at least as important as anything else we can do together as a church. Some would put it at the very top of the list receiving communion together. So that's our topic. I want to give you a little bit of history. Uh, Back in 1981, uh, Becky and I, uh, we were only five years old at the time. No, I'm kidding. Um, We were uh, probably 30, 31, 32, and 81, and we were Christian in name only. We went to church uh, now and then, really more now and then. Um, I was raised Baptist, Becky Presbyterian, but as adults, we'd kind of gotten away from all that. And I was used to Baptist service. She was used to Presbyterian. We went to Methodist once in a while. But when we went, it was like a stage play. Did you ever feel like that in church? It was like all happening up there, and we were sitting in the pews. We weren't participating the way their liturgy works. We sang a hymn, maybe, and uh, that was our extent of our relationship with the church. Then we had a near-death experience. Becky almost died after childbirth, complications from that with our second child, and we started to search. Uh, We called it looking for a church. We were really looking for the Lord. And we ended up, by the grace of God, in an Anglican church, Episcopal at the time, but a Bible-believing, spirit-filled, big, uh, like 2,000-member Episcopal church in Northern Virginia. We'd never set foot in an Episcopal church or Anglican service before, had no idea what it was like, and we were overwhelmed. Uh, 
Part of it, you got a picture, we're not used to participatory service. We're used to sitting and watching while it's done up there, and all of a sudden we were asked to pray out loud. We were asked to uh, interact during the service responsively to uh, things in, in the liturgy, and it was all foreign to us. We were asked to kneel. <laughs> you can't picture this if you weren't raised Baptist. You're going to kneel on your knees in front of other people? No, I'm sorry. That's way too intimate. That crosses all kinds of barriers. Okay. We did it, and we were overwhelmed. It was foreign, but we, we were drawn into the participation. The participatory part of it was beautiful to us. We, were, it was, we found it whiz, winsome. We just were drawn in. I didn't have the words for it, but I did say as we were going to the car after the service, that was the first time I've been in church where I felt God was there. Now, there were lots of things that contributed to that. I'm going to get to communion here in just a second. There were lots of things that contributed to that sense of God's presence. The music was different than anything we'd seen and experienced before. The sermon was intellectually stimulating, and it also brought tears to your eyes. I never had that happen before, except when it put me to sleep and I was yawning. The, the praying next to somebody, these things all interacted with us. But the biggest impact on me, I believe, was going forward for communion. I've used to communion when I went to church and they had communion, which was maybe quarterly or so. There was a tray that came back by with some little squares of Wonder Bread on it. And then another tray came by with some little cups, little plastic cups with grape juice in them. And that was communion. There wasn't anything common about it. It was something we did individually at our seats. Here we went up to the rail. You can't, I'm trying to give you a picture of how foreign this was to us. You go up to a rail, and you're kneeling at a rail, and there's, my wife's next to me, that's good, but on the other side is a perfect stranger. And then you, you, you kneel there, and then you watch, and, and then you lift, you, you realize you're supposed to lift your hands up to receive the bread. I'm sorry, but that's, that's like submissive. That's like, <laughs> wait a minute, what am I? So you lift your hands up, you receive the bread, and then, heaven forbid, there's a cup that comes by and you're going to drink out of it, and the other people just drank out of it too. <laughs> okay, so that's all foreign, right? But I'm telling you, I don't know if you remember the first time you did that, but that was electric for me. That was stunning. It's hard to describe. Uh, it was so foreign, and yet it was so God there. I, I didn't know why it felt like that at the time. I've learned that later, but it did seem like God was in it, up close and personal. I did listen to the prayers of consecration that the priests were saying, and it triggered probably something from when I was 12-year-old in, in baptism class, I probably heard all of this before, but all of a sudden it rings true, and I can't describe it. Something was awakened deep in my heart, and I was set on a, a path that ends up with me up here talking to you this morning. My life was changed. That was the start. Communion. I've since come to see that my reaction to being up at the rail like that and receiving communion, that reaction was actually totally appropriate to what was really happening up at the rail. 
totally appropriate. And the rest of my message this morning is to try to explain to you why I think that was appropriate. Uh, so, you know, some, for some of you, this is going to be like, okay, this, I've heard this a hundred times. Actually, if you come to church, you've heard this every Sunday morning. I'm not going to say anything new, but I want to put this into a context and hopefully give you an appreciation, maybe a new one, maybe just a refresher for what we're doing when we come together in communion. In our tradition, Anglican tradition and theology, Jesus Christ is actually present in the bread and the wine. That was not the way we looked at it in the Baptist church. What we were doing in the Baptist church when we had communion was we were remembering something that Jesus did 2,000 years ago. That's what we were doing. Of course, you don't have to do that every week because you can remember every week without doing communion. So we did communion maybe once a quarter or twice a year. For us, Jesus Christ is spiritually present. We don't say that the bread becomes flesh, you just can't taste it, <laughs> it, doesn't ta it, it tastes like bread. We don't say that the elements were transformed, physically transformed, but spiritually the reality is there, Jesus Christ is there present in the bread and the wine. Why do we think that? Because Jesus said it at the Last Supper. He said, what did he say? He said, this is my body. This, uh, the wine, this is my blood. He didn't say, he could have, this is like my body, or this stands for my body, or this represents my body. He didn't say that. He said, this is my body, and this is my blood. And we take it that he doesn't lie. That's the spiritual truth he's giving us. He's there, present in the Last Supper. He also said, do this in remembrance of me. And so some denominations have picked that up and said, that's what's going on in communion. We're remembering. But he said more than that. Okay? He said, this is. And so we believe that when we receive the bread and the wine, we receive him. And is there anybody here that doesn't need more of Jesus in their life? If you raise your hand, then I'm going to talk to you later about your pride. Okay. Okay. We need, I need, we need more of Jesus. And that's part of what we're doing in communion. We're receiving him. We do communion uh, weekly because, well, Jesus commanded it when we gather. And that's what the earliest church did. That's our reading this morning from Acts chapter 2. This is the brand new church right after Pentecost. 3,000 people come to faith. They gather. And what do they do? They devote themselves, the first verse here, they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, which is the scripture, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, communion, and to the prayers. It's good enough for them. It's good enough for us. Jesus commanded it, and they did it all the time. And that's our reading from Luke today, his command to the early church, the institution of the Lord's Supper, and the early church treated it as man mandatory, such that when Paul was writing, maybe, I don't know what, 23 years later, writing 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he refers to it as the Lord's Supper, knowing that everybody knows exactly what that is. Now, we're going to come back to that in a minute because they're doing it all wrong. But nevertheless, the Lord's Supper is the life of the church, even from the beginning. I would, I would theorize. Now, this is you can find people that would disagree, so I'll be very upfront about that. But Jesus, you remember he said, it's in John chapter 6, verse 53, disgusting 
graphic language, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life within you. You remember how controversial that was. A bunch of his followers left him, said, who can, who can accept this? It's too hard a word. I think and some commentators agree, it's clear that he's not using metaphorical language there. When he says, eat my body, he's using a Greek word that means munch on. <laughs> this is not metaphorical. Oh, we dined. No, this is munch my flesh and drink my blood. You have no life within you. So unless you think he was really into cannibalism, I think that the only explanation is he's speaking prophetically about the communion, which he has not yet quite instituted. He comes to that later. It's important. Take that, Jesus, for what he says. It's hard to have life within us without communion. As Anglicans, uh, part of our theology, we share this with the Roman Catholics and the Orthodox, we believe that God uses physical things like bread and wine, to convey gifts, spiritual gifts. Anybody know what the one word is for that? I know you do. It's a sacrament. A sacrament. That's the definition of a sacrament. If you don't have this little book, um, I encourage you to get it. This is uh, To Be a Christian. It's the Anglican Catechism, Anglican Church, North America. It came out in 2019 or 2021. Uh, official approved edition, 20 bucks on Amazon. It's got our doctrine in it, thoroughly, carefully written, very useful little book. And I'm going to quote a little bit from it, but that's the definition of a sacrament. It's an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. God gives us the sign as a means by which we receive that grace. These are important words. So communion, the outward and visible signs are the consecrated bread and the wine. That's the outward and visible sign. The inward and spiritual gift is Jesus Christ, the body and blood of Christ, truly received in the Lord's Supper by faith. So the Catechism says God gives us the sign, the bread and the wine, by which we actually receive the grace. In other words, it's, I'm saying it six different ways, but we're receiving Jesus Christ when we receive the bread and the wine and it's an assurance that we, in fact, have received it. As the Catechism would say, as the body is nourished by the physical food and drink, so the soul is strengthened by the body and blood of Jesus Christ. We receive. C.S. Lewis wrote about this in Mere Christianity. He said, I'm paraphrasing slightly, but there are three things that spread Christ's life to us. Three things. Belief, we all understand that. Believe in Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. Baptism, and Lewis says that mysterious action, which we call by different names, Holy Communion, Mass, the Lord's Supper. Why these three, Lewis says? Well, because Jesus taught them, <laughs> plainly taught them. You believe in me, you have eternal life. Unless you eat my flesh, drink my blood, you have no life within you. And baptism is the entrance way. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So Jesus commanded this, and then we take it on his authority. Lewis is clear. We don't, that doesn't make us Christian. Faith alone, baptism alone, 
Holy Communion alone don't make us Christian. It requires a response on our part, an effort to live life for Jesus Christ. But we don't get eternal life on our own either or keep it. The, the, the sacraments nourish and protect the Christian life that we have within us by the grace of God. Now, we can mess it up. That's what Paul's all about today in our 1 Corinthians passage. We can do communion wrongly. That's his point. And the church there in Corinth was breaking bread wrongly. They were doing a lot else wrongly too. I don't know if you noticed the sarcasm in that passage, but he, he says, well, of course, you have to have disputes because otherwise who, you wouldn't know who's greater and who's lesser. That's sarcasm. Um, well, it's also true, but at any rate, um, we can do communion wrongly. That what they were doing there in Corinth was they were treating it as a dinner meal. People were bringing uh, their dinners, and some brought too much and too much wine with it and got drunk, and some were going hungry. And Paul says to them, in, a, in essence, basically, my mother used to say this to me when I screwed up, what were you thinking? That's what he said. What were you people thinking? And he lays it out. Eat your meals at home. You don't, that's not the Lord's Supper, that you come and share your dinner and, and pig out, and some people go hungry. Eat your meals at home. The Lord's Supper is a loaf of bread broken and shared, and a common cup shared between you all, blessed by Jesus and shared by all together in unity. And I just want to say our Eucharist service, which we'll do in just a few minutes, is designed to follow Jesus Christ's command and Paul's word of instruction here to the church at Corinth. We take communion, as he says here, mindful of the fact that in taking the elements, we are proclaiming Christ's death until he returns. I hope you realize that's what we're doing. We're taking the body and blood of Jesus Christ. What does that represent? Well, that's his death. He's dead. That's why we have his body broken and his blood shed. We're proclaiming his death meaning we're reaffirming his sacrifice on the cross for us, the propitiation for our sins. So we are mindful of the fact that we're proclaiming his death until he returns. We take communion in a worthy manner. What's Paul talking about in a worthy manner? Well, we recognize our sinfulness and our need for a savior. That's a worthy manner. We recognize we need his blood to cleanse us. That's why we before we come to communion every Sunday, what do we do? Confession. We confess our sins. We come to receive mindful that we're sinners in need of a Savior. We don't come with judgment on others. Paul says this, don't come forward with judgment. We need to discern the body. What he's saying there is we need to realize that we are all part of one body, the body of sinners, who are saved by the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ, by the same sacrifice. And so we come forward leaving judgment out of it. We don't judge one another. We leave judgment to God. We enact that before communion every Sunday. How do we do that? We pass the peace. Okay? We shake, stick out our hand and say, the peace of the Lord be with you, or whatever greeting we use here. But what we're doing is affirming that we're coming to communion without rancor, without hostility toward each other. I, that church where I was first at the rail, 
John Howe was the rector. One Sunday, he thought there was some unrest in the church. There was some animosity going on. This is six, seven hundred people sitting out there. And he said, when we pass the peace today, I want you all to deal with it seriously. If you've got something against somebody in this church or you think they have something against you, I want you to clear it up. The peace lasted an hour and a half. They got busy. We were, we were sitting there, moved to tears, watching folks. We didn't know anybody yet. We hadn't gotten crossways yet. But anyway, that's what the piece is signifying. We don't take an hour and a half. But the idea is there. We do not come forward with judgment. We pass the peace. This is the worthy manner Paul is talking about, the worthy manner of receiving communion. The Catechism says it this way, what's required of us for communion is that to examine ourselves and see that I am truly repentant and intend to lead a new life in Christ, see that I have a living faith in God's mercy through Jesus Christ, remembering his atoning death with a thankful heart, and have shown love and forgiveness to all. I can't say that we probably all satisfy all of that every Sunday, but God is merciful. But that's the goal, that we come forward and receive like that. What do we get for taking communion? Well, I've kind of hinted at it, but the Catechism spells it out. Strength, the assurance of forgiveness, an improved ability to grow in holiness, to avoid sin, to show love and forgiveness to all, and to serve others with a grateful heart. In short, we get more of Jesus in us, in our hearts and lives. And we do this as we ingest the spiritual reality of his body and blood, and we do it in community together and uniting ourselves not just to the Lord but to one another. I think that that's what happened to me at the rail in 1981. I did not have a full understanding of the gospel. I did not have a very informed faith, but I did know that I was a sinner in need of a savior. And I received Jesus Christ. I had some faith, and I had this overwhelming sense of his presence and his love for me as I took communion. And so I want to encourage us, when you receive communion today or any time, I pray that it might be, for you as it was for me, an emotional moment where I was aware, really at that point for the first time, of a profound and heartwarming spiritual change. May it be so for you. If it is, that's good. That's a wonderful thing. Or communion, receiving it may be more like every Sunday where we're doing it and we believe in it, but there isn't a big sense of feeling behind it. That's true a lot of times, and I'd say that's just fine, too. The fact is Jesus commands it. The promises are real. The promised benefits are ours when we take communion, and we need them for our continued life of faith in Christ. So that's communion. That's what's happening when we break bread, whenever we gather, not just remembering something he did, but participating, remembering and receiving from him. Body and blood, Jesus Christ, 
more of him each time, more in us, binding us closer to him and closer to each other. Of overwhelming importance to the church. Pray with me, please. Lord God, I thank you uh, for the gift of the Eucharist. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for the sacrifice which it represents, which, which we celebrate, remember, and receive the benefits of. Keep us, Lord, open to your work in our hearts. Give us more of Jesus day by day. In Christ's name, amen.